Hello and welcome to Unstoppable with me, your host. My name is Kerwin Ray and in today's episode we are talking to Jasmine Starr, star by name, star by nature. And this young lady is an expert in branding, social media and business strategy and she has been featured in the likes of Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, Huffington Post and Vader Media. If she knows one thing, she knows how to build a brand and do it well in a way that you'll get noticed. This is one for anyone who wants to build a brand, anyone who wants to understand social media at a higher level. For those of you who want to learn how to conquer the brand, at the biggest level, listen up. We're about to get tight. Oh my God. You know, the crazy thing is, uh, they've been calling you Jasmine Star all day, but when we were bringing you up, I said, so what's her name again? Just want to get this right. It's Jasmine Rice, right? <laughs> and both of them went, Star. <laughs> and then as I went to get you, I was like, it's Jasmine T, right? And they like both looked at me. And then as I literally went to say your name, I literally, all I could see was Jasmine Rice. <laughs> I literally shifted over for a second. I was, I was like, like it's no, star. this is star. <laughs> it, it's telepathically tell it. That's just terrible. But I didn't know see, who you now are. you're never going to forget because you're going to remember how awkward it was. I was never going to forget because when the girl, when they first put you in front of me, I was like, oh, star by name, star by nature. You know, that you don't, know. you don't get those names because, you know, oftentimes, you know, our, our surnames are related to ancestral roots of, you know, rites of passage and things that we did. So clearly Beautiful. your ancestors are in the stars. Beautiful. Is that your name? Is that actually it your is, name? It is. I have a twin sister and her name is Bianca Flower. Oh, wow. My mom was a hippie, you know, and so she had a set of twins and Jasmine Starr and Bianca Flower were born. Jasmine Starr and Bianca Flower. Yes. That's incredible. Yeah. What's your mom's name? Her name is, well, she's from Puerto Rico, so it's okay. Vidalia, but when she came to the States, they changed it to Millie. Okay, beautiful. Yeah. Wow. So you, by the sounds of it, you got quite strong family roots, obviously oh, being Latina. Yeah, right? I mean, well, we're Latina, so like we don't have roots. Like our roots have roots. So yeah, <laughs> we basically go, make up. It's like the we're tribal. Ecosystem. You know, it's like the family does and goes everywhere yeah. and supports everybody. I love that. Things. Yeah. I love that. So for people who don't know a little bit about you, like I've been, uh, I've been doing my research the last couple of days, and you've got an incredible story. Uh, you've, you've got quite a, a lot of life in you. But I'm curious for those people who don't know your story, like what's what's got us to today? Like how have you got onto the I have to say, this is something a little bit different. Like the, okay. the, the origin story always begins the same. But here in this moment, I'm driving in Santa Monica. Yeah. Um, my God, like 15 years ago, I lived maybe 15 minutes from where we are right now. Is that right? I was at UCLA Law School. Right. And I was miserable. But I had worked so hard. I'm a first-generation Hispanic, first-generation college student. You know, it's like... So first person in your, your family to go to college. Absolutely. My and you're doing immigrated. law. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. my God. Absolutely. absolutely. So you're clearly an academic beast at well, this point. Well, not necessarily. I actually, I, I kind of shy away from that because I've never been somebody who's been, like, academically attuned. I didn't learn how to read until I was almost 12 years old. Okay. So very late, for all intents and purposes. I never did well on standardized tests. I was never the person that somebody would bet on and be like, oh, that girl's going to get a college scholarship. I was just somebody who tried really hard. And I think that that set me up for a life of long success because I quickly learned that as long as you remain undaunted, as long as you continue taking the micro steps, you will ultimately beat, surpass, um, excel beyond the people who are inclined to that thing because they haven't built the discipline it takes to actually. The grit, that resilience. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So the origin you're story. In, you're in Santa Monica. It's 15 years ago. Yes, I know. You're, you're sipping and on Starbucks. To myself, yeah. And I think to myself, what would it take for me to live a life that would empower me to do this? And this being enjoying and working from Santa Monica without like being tethered to the rigidity of like law school and rules. And um, I was basically working myself into 
an optimal desk job for the rest of my life. And it just wasn't something that I wanted. But, you know, when you're raised really poor and then you tell your entire neighborhood, I'm going to law school, it's like everybody gets behind you. It's like she did it. And I felt like this like extreme weight and responsibility, although it was yeah. never imposed on me at all. Was it a baby? Was it like a baby girl dream? Like one day I want to be a lawyer because no. that was pumped into you? No, not at all. Like we didn't, I didn't even think that college was, I didn't even know anybody in my neighborhood who went to college. Yeah, right. So it was like this foreign thing. And then when I was uh, 15 years old, my parents moved to a different neighborhood and we happened to meet a great group of girls. All of us were, you know, brown, black, very racially mixed. And we all kind of just banded together in an otherwise primarily Caucasian school. And we decided that we were going to take all honors classes. I didn't even know what honors classes was. I was just like, I think I can apply myself. And so (laughs) got into the college track. And when I was applying for college, when I was applying for scholarships, my parents were like, we we don't know. Like, we don't know what to do. So I kind of figured out my way, got a full ride academic scholarship and um, graduated at the top of my class in college, which then got me to law school. But in both of those instances, I I tested terribly. Hmm. terribly but I was able to write and sit with an admissions counselor and say bet on me like I bet on me do you bet on me and it really called him to the carpet and it changed the game and I think talk about bringing sales to academia I'm sorry? Talk about bringing sales oh, right. yes, to academia. Yes, like, exactly. You don't think exactly. I've got the marks? Sit down. <laughs> Let me show yes. you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that it was really important for us to get to this point to where I realized that at a, any given point in time, I could say this is going to be the predictable and safe path. Yeah. And it wasn't until my mom had a relapse of brain cancer when my first year of law school and she, her battle had been eight years long. And it was at that time that doctors had said, we've gone through two brain surgeries, we've gone through two shunts, we've done through all different types of chemotherapy, her time had come. And, you know, it coupled with not being very happy in law school to all of a sudden being faced with the reality of losing your mom. It was like this very jarring situation. And in 24 hours, I decided I'm leaving school. But because I went on scholarship, they paid for my housing, they paid for a lot of things. And so when I left school, I no longer had housing. So the Los Angeles, you know, housing market being the way that it is and me not having any money, I did what any brown girl would do. I moved home. And so I was like 25 years old. Oh, no, excuse me. Yeah, I was only 25 years when old. When was home? Um, it's in La Mirada. Okay. So it's, it's like 35 minutes from downtown LA. Okay. So kind of like a suburb of LA, but yeah. California is so wide. It's so it's not like suburbia. It's yeah. like city life still. <laughs> um, but um, so moved home like yeah. on a whim. And I said, I just want to see my mom get healthy and if that's a possibility. And I believed, like I believed she could get healthy, but the doctors were said we stopped everything. And so at that time I had been dating my high school sweetheart. We've been dating nine years. And I said, I just want my mom to see me get married. Our goal was like, I'm going to finish law school. I'm going to do my career. And then, you know, I'll start a little bit later. And then we planned a wedding like in three months. Wow. Got married. And against all odds, the doctor said, oh, she won't walk. She won't talk. She won't be cognizant. And she did all of those things. She walked down the aisle with my father. She's a fighter. Everything I know about yeah, life and getting up. That's in your blood. Oh, yeah. yeah. Completely. And it was at that time that I realized shortly thereafter, I came home. I mean, after we got married, I just realized that I had a midlife crisis. My mom was 50 years old and I was 25. And I thought to myself, if I have 25 years left in my life, do I want to die a lawyer? The answer was no, zero. And so I asked, like, what, what could I do? And like my husband said, if you can do anything, he's like, let's just throw everything out. Like, if you could do anything, what would you want to do? And I said, I want to be a photographer. And he's like, 
um, you don't even have a camera. And I was like, I was waiting for, okay, what would be the next thing? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, I want to be an Olympian. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, seriously, I want to yeah. train dolphins. I mean, it's like all these wild ideas. Like, yeah. it was, I didn't even have the tools of the trade. I'd never taken a class. I didn't even have a digital camera. I just felt like it was something that I could do. Yeah. I felt like I was a creative, but I wanted to take this safe and narrow path to success yeah. because that's what was, that's what that's we what do. Felt right, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, other people might hear that and be like, well, that's the silliest thing. Like you're going to pick up your big girl pants and go back to law school. And this is what you're going to do. And instead he just said, like, I believe. And he's like, take a year, just experiment for the year and see what happens. Play with the camera. Play with the camera. Yeah. And I played very well with it because within a year we had a burgeoning business and he joined the team because we were growing so fast. Wow. And then by 2009, I was voted one of the top photographers in the world and wow. one of the top 10 socially influential photographers. Yeah. I mean, so it just really changed for me. And when was this? What year was this? Um, 2009. Yeah, right. Voted um, top 10. 2010, voted um, most influential photographer. 2012, wow. most socially influential photographer. So these are photographers who are out there creating changes on social. And then yeah. that's when it started opening the doors for me to kind of like understand how we use social media to personify our business. How do we show our lives? How to create story? And then that became a very big pivot in my life and business. So I'm going to assume like you, your break in social media, being a photographer. Am I, is it too far, I guess, to say Instagram was where you really first No. Started? I Okay. So this is another thing. Okay. When you grow up really poor, you look at the least amount for the maximum results. And your brain is hardwired to see that in a way that other people aren't. When you come from abundance, it's wonderful, but you don't have to be scrappy. So in my You're not business, lean sometimes. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> so um, I started my business in 2006. Yeah. And then around 2008, this crazy new thing called Twitter came along. But in 2006, I was blogging. And at the time, okay. photographers didn't blog. They're like, most people... The, so you were already digital at this stage. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, blogging, this was like the advent of blogging. And I we're just... We're talking photo, photo blogging. Was it a photo it was, blog or just a was, text blog? It was kind of like, it was more a text blog than okay. it was a photo blog. Because at the time, I, I was just learning. Like, I was okay. blogging. Like, I yep. just got my camera today. I'm so scared. <laughs> you know? Like, right. I went and got, yeah. like, ramen in downtown LA. It was literally, like, a yeah. lifestyle blog okay. augmented by photos and then taking people on the journey. Gotcha. And unbeknownst to me, it's like when you bring people on, when you open yourself to that level of vulnerability, people actually want to see you succeed because you're just so open. You're, you're such a hot mess that people are like, I'm going to pat you on the back and be like, good luck with that. <laughs> um, and so 2006 came around and started developing a following of leader, a following of readers. Yeah. 2008 came along and then I saw Twitter and I thought, oh, I can create one-on-one -on -one conversations in a scalable way that other people can see versus the blog being everybody coming, reading my content and then me not being able to scale that conversation. Twitter was the first scalable conversation that I saw. I said, well, I'm going to start talking about my life, my photography, what it means to start a business. And then around 2010, 2011, this thing called Facebook came around. And I was like, oh, this is scalable conversations in the visual capacity. Let me see what happens here. Yeah, right. And then it wasn't until about 2012, 2013-ish, uh, Instagram came along and then I realized, Oh, okay. this is a platform that's going to change the way that we interact from a visual capacity. Okay. And so tell me about the early days of social, cause is it fair to say that a lot of your success has come as a result of your ability to integrate your business with social media? Um, I think a lot of the success has been able to leverage the power of my story yeah. and my business, right. the medium. I'm not, I'm so unattached. 
Like there were so many people who developed such an ardent following on blogging that they took such a long time to move over to social and they felt all this animosity. Like I wasted all this time. I am literally at this moment being like, so Instagram's great. What's the next thing? Right. Like you always. So you're not romantic about the platform. No, no. So what? So my assumption then is you've really mastered the art of the medium, like knowing what mediums to use to share your story in a way that Absolutely. people want to hear. And, and yes, in a way that people want to hear yeah. exactly that. Considering you come from a visual business as well. Absolutely. And which is interesting because you, you really started in your early career in a very, like a high visual business as a blogger, which in itself is kind of interesting. Right. So is, is sharing your story, is communication something that's always come quite easy to you? No, I think that for the vast majority of my life, I've always been so, so, so quiet. And so now what people see is an adult version in a very polished way because I've built up a business and a brand that should match that. Yeah. But for the vast majority of my life, I grew up wildly obese. I was homeschooled. We lived in a very, very, very poor area. We had groceries donated on our porch and like donations for Christmas given to us. And so the vast majority of my life, I remained a watcher. I was always in the corners looking in. And yeah. so I it was able to understand the way like social dynamics would because nobody's ever turning to me in the corner eating like fried chicken and being like, <laughs> what are your thoughts on this matter? You know, You're, yeah. I was never the first girl to get asked to dance. But as a result, you see the way that mm. people interact and the same way that we interact in, in real life is the exact same way we interact in social. Mm. And so I think that understanding that has played a big role in how I'm able to engage and see what people are going to do in a new social platform in a new social yeah, way. Right. So you've clearly mastered, mastered the art of communication, but uh, like just listening to your story when we first sat down, like you've really, you've had an interesting life, but one of the things that you've really, that's come out quite, quite obvious to me within literally seconds of us communicating is you've got this grit, you've got this resilience, this ability to keep going and pushing through. Like how, how did this develop within you and where does this come from? It's, it's easy to say it's a genetic trait came from mum, right. you know, cause I see some roots in, you know, in behaviors in family, but I'm curious if, if this is something you've developed consciously. As an as um, as a mature entrepreneur, it has been. Yeah. But the vast majority of my life, I don't ever think like it was Angela Lee Duckworth who kind of coined this idea of grit. Right? She gave yeah. this amazing TED talk and understood. And this, when I saw her TED talk, it was around 2011, more okay. or less. A couple. Okay. Give, give me a take. Give a take. One or two years. And I realized, oh my god. I have the thing she's talking about. Yeah. But for the vast majority of <sighs> yeah. my life, I just thought. If that's where I want to go, if that's who I want to be, if that is what I want to have, mm. I have no other option than to continue moving forward because the minute I stop is the minute I say, this is as far as I can go. Yeah, right. So now as an adult, I realize that it's a unique trait, yep. but my entire life was honed into it. It's like you can't... Um, my beautiful father, we, there was a community center and they couldn't afford to sign me for classes, but they had this one scholarship and I wanted to box. I was a tomboy growing up. And they said, no, there would be no girl boxing with the boys. And I was heartbroken. And my dad marched me into that community center. And he's like, she's going to box. Like, this is what she's going to do. And we, he fought tooth and nail. And at the end of the day, we were not able to be a part of the program. But what he taught me was to always stick up yeah. for what it is. And I think that that level of grit yeah. as a child was, you know, isn't led by example, not something that's taught. 
did you have a background in discipline? Like, um, no, I was obese. Yeah, well, I, I heard no that. discipline. <laughs> I was like, I see it, I but want it, what, I need it. But what's interesting, you know, we, we talk about discipline's one of those funny things that it's so hard to define through just looking at someone objectively. You know, because I've met plenty of gamers who might be obese, but they can sit on the couch for 14 hours at a time oh, and play right. video games at a really high level. Right. Oh, Do you know what I mean? So to me, yes. I think, you know, discipline comes in so many shapes and forms. But what I'm curious to know within you is what are the experiences within your life that built that? Because, you know, it's one thing to see the example, but it's another thing to actually practice that example and have real life experiences where, you know, things are difficult and you do have to push through. So what have been some of the toughest times in your life that you've had to go through and like what, what? Is what is it that you've done that you could perhaps share in a practical way that someone else could perhaps use mm-hmm. to get through maybe something tough they're going through right now? Um, I think that's a fascinating question. And if I could reverse engineer anything, it's going to be, I don't think it's the right answer or a good answer, but I know it's the truthful answer. And the truthful answer is when I was growing up, I would look around and I would see all the things that I didn't have. And my parents did their best, but they voids, breed value. voids breed values. Absolutely. Things that we don't have often breed the things that we want. Absolutely. That's yeah. exactly it. So when my parents lost their home due to the, like an American financial crisis in the housing market, I, as a child, internalized and said, never. When we had to board the bus to go to church on Christmas, I remember thinking, I don't want this. When we would take bags of dirty laundry to the laundromat a mile away, walking with them, this is not what I want. When we would buy day old bread, you know, as a kid, you're not cognizant, but you also understand there's a bunch of other kids who don't shop at the yeah. day old bread store, yeah. you know? And yeah. I think in the back of my mind, it said, I don't want this. Yeah. And so if I don't want this, what must I do to not have this? And while I didn't have a clear path, all I knew is that I had to continue doing things and doing stuff yeah. in order to actually find my direction. And I think if that was the discipline that was honed in, that's been a practice that I still adhere to today. And so how does that, how do you do that today? Like, how does that show up? Oh, I am a stalker's dream. I know I shouldn't (laughs) say that. I wake up every day between 415. Oh, extraordinarily so. If I go to a restaurant and I find a plate of food that I love. You'll order it 20 times. Absolutely. I don't need to try every bottle of wine to know I love a good bottle of wine. I'm going to order that every (laughs) single time on the menu. Um, I wake up between 415 and 430 every morning and I do the same thing. I feel the most alive when I can create constructs and when I can say I have time to play and I have time to relax, but I also have plenty of time to work. And I think that that level of discipline is so wildly satisfying. I think it's wildly satisfying, but I'm curious, is this something you've always had? Um, I think the first time I could remember distinctly saying this is a decision I'm making to be disciplined would be when I was 14. And here in the States, you start high school. So you kind of transition into this is where it really matters. This is what colleges are looking for. I lost weight. I started understanding that you can't eat everything that you want in life. And um, academically, um, just decided that I want to, you know, I want to prove everybody wrong. I want to prove that there are people who come from really bad backgrounds and they could stand up on the you know, on the stage with, with the best of them. Okay. So let's, let's talk social media. Um, let's, let's say that you've had, cause you, you do a lot now in social media, not just photography. So you've actually Absolutely. become <clears throat> successful in photography through social media and through ph- photography and social media, you've become quite an influencer as a social influencer yourself. Like a lot of people actually, you, you commentate for a lot of people. You, you even run programs and trainings. Is this right? Yes. 
Yes. So if someone was coming to you right now uh, with an established business who's never done any form of social media before, uh, but they're traditional, we'll look at two scenarios. We'll look at someone who's traditional, they're in an existing business, and we'll talk about someone who is perhaps starting and how they can break in. But let's say you've got a traditional business, they've come to you and said, look, we, we know nothing about social media. You know, I'm 38, uh, I've, I'm married, I've got three kids, I've got this business that you know, I've been running for the last 12 years. It makes some money. But the traditional advertising that we're using doesn't seem to be working. The yellow page ads aren't working anymore. The classified ads aren't working anymore. How do you help someone in that situation start to grasp, let's say they've grasped the, the potential of social media, but they haven't grasped, okay, what do I practically do now? Like what would be mm. step one? What would you say to someone who is in that kind of scenario? Would be to truly understand who their target demographic is. Because what happens is that for like a seasoned entrepreneur who's been met with plenty of success and has like a standard business and let's say has been advertising in the yellow pages, you all of a sudden have to get into the mind of where is our avatar at now? Because you have like a myriad of social options. And so people become like overwhelmed with this. Where do I start? Which one do I use? What's right for me? And I always suggest finding the easiest path. The path of least resistance is where you should begin. So when you reverse engineer who you're ultimately targeting, because any business is obviously going after not just males and not just females, but males within a very distinct age in a very distinct area with very distinct likes and preferences. Based on that, you can then start and choose which social platform. So for instance, if you have a product that is catering to females between 17 and 24, Snapchat is where you should be, even though that's like a kind of like a what people would say declining social platform, it's not in that demographic according to what you're selling. If you're selling between 24 and 34 females, Instagram is going to be where it is. Um, that demographic is kind of changing, but women 35, 45, and even beyond, Facebook is still a highly viable option. Guys are on different platforms. A lot of guys, depending on the social conversation, could be on Twitter. It really depends on who you're marketing to, finding that one platform, and then just double down and figure out what does this platform do and mm. how can I show up? Because I think one of the challenges a lot of people have, and I, I see this in my own research, that like the average user will maintain five different platforms. Yes. Because you know, they're on the Snapchat, they're on yes. Twitter, they're on you know Facebook, YouTube, uh, and Instagram. Yes. And a lot of people say, well, if they're on across every platform, which one do I choose? So you're actually giving quite a good insight here. We'll actually look at where the, your market predominantly hangs out. Absolutely. Because once, and here's the thing that people, I would just love for people to understand, is once you understand how to communicate with your customer on one social platform, it gives you so much insight into how you change the message for a different social platform. Mm. But you have such a keen understanding to their behaviors that you know it's going to parlay over to a different platform with specific nuances. Yeah, right. So I think it's going to be a really viable, powerful option for people to look at one platform, okay. follow behaviors, and then see what would be the next platform to move from here. Okay. But don't feel the pressure. Figure it out first. Yeah, right. So you found the platform. You've worked out perhaps Facebook is is the one for me. Um, yes. And a lot of people like Facebook. It's yeah. got great advertising features. Yes. Great monetization options. Yes. Um, all right. That's where my market is. What now? Like where do people start when it comes to producing content? Like for a photographer, it would almost seem, well, that's just your job. You know, right. creating content is something you do every day. Right. But let's say we've got, um, you know, we've got uh, Jason and Jenny here. You know, he's 38. He's got his plumbing business. How would someone in a plumbing business perhaps go, well, what kind of content, where, where do I start when it comes to creating content for a plumbing business on something like, you know, social media like Facebook where I don't see people even advertising for plumbers on there? Okay, so let's start backwards. 
Let's look at all the things that the typical plumbing business and any business is doing wrong on a platform like Facebook. And that is to have a business page that is only advertising and marketing driven. I'm a plumber. I, flick, I fix your toilet. I fix your faucet. I'm a plumber. We have a Christmas sale. I'm a plumber. It's hot. Do you need an air ventilator? I mean, it's like all the things like why would anybody follow that page? Why would anybody find that page? And by and large, if you have a plumbing business, people aren't going to say, I really need to follow that person's fan page. <laughs> so when do you know it's yeah. not going to be about numbers? When you stop caring about vanity metrics, yeah. when you stop caring that you only have a hundred people who like your page, it doesn't matter because the hundred people that are there are giving you insights into how you can formulate your targeting when it comes to advertising. Mm. So what you need to do is you need to create content that somebody could see and say, oh, I never thought about that. Is there anything that a plumber could sell in advance to something going wrong. Because the minute you have a customer and you treat them right and you follow up and you continue retargeting ads back to them after you've already serviced them on maybe like sealing a pipe before it bursts going into summer. I really don't know plumbing technical terms or whatever the case may be. So once somebody becomes a customer, they're yeah. more likely to be a customer, more likely to pass your name along. So the idea is to create content in advance to what somebody needs to create value-driven content. Is there ability to be like, have you ever tried fixing a toilet? And then all of a sudden it's a 30-second comical commercial about somebody trying to fix a toilet and all the five things not to do if your toilet's broke. Yeah. And it's so fascinating because BuzzFeed, if somebody is like, how do I figure out content that's going to stop somebody in their tracks? Go to BuzzFeed. Look at all of the headlines. They are absolutely positively ridiculous. I remember one BuzzFeed um, title was, what percentage poo obsessed are you? <laughs> And it was trending. People were so fat. And, and I just think to myself, that would be ideal for a plumber. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I just think there's so much content that's already been proven on other big mm. machines to say, if I understand the current social dynamic and the conversations that are happening, how can I then in turn interpret it and then redigest it for my company to create content? Mm. So I, if I was a plumber, would see that feed and be like, did you see what happened on BuzzFeed? Take this quiz. Use the same quiz. Give credit over there and be like, just in case you ever have a problem with your toilet based on how much poo ups you or you know who to call. <laughs> it's that kind of, and anybody who That's watches that ad, yeah. you could retarget them again for mm. a less amount. It's fascinating. It's Absolutely. fascinating. That was very well done. Great pivot. Um, <laughs> really, really I mean, good. bring me on your podcast and talk yeah. about poo. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Mr. Poo, 1-800. Uh, look, I think you nailed something there that I think a lot of people make the mistake with is you said, you know, don't treat it like a marketing platform. Like it's, you right. know, I think that's right. a big mistake that people make is they think on oh, social media, it's a marketing platform. Right. No, it's actually social media. It's a communication platform. It's where people engage and relate and connect yes. over relevant ideas and interests. So it's great. Okay, so I'm a plumber now. I'm, I'm going to start producing content. But how do I produce con content in a meaningful way? And like, I think one of the other, the challenges that I see, this isn't just in plumbing, this is in like hundreds of different industries that are then moving into social media. What's the the expectation around timing that a business owner should have in terms of, well, oh, you know, I'm going to place a classified such ad. Such a good question. And I'm going to expect my phone to ring Thursdays as soon as that, that newspaper yeah. starts getting delivered. But when we place a Facebook ad or we start producing content, you know, even pre-advertising, mm -hmm. Um, what's, what sort of a psychology do we have to have in terms of like a sales cycle and God forbid, do we even call it a sales cycle in social media or do we call more, is it called a relationship cycle? How do you navigate that? <laughs> it's absolutely, I've never used that. I've never heard that term, but I would a thousand percent, you need to trademark that because if you don't, I'm going to run with it. <laughs> a relationship cycle. Yeah. A hundred percent. The thing that I have to say again and again and again, it is the long game. 
This is a marathon. You are, I firmly believe that social is about brand awareness and it's so much about brand awareness that didn't exist you know, 10, 15 years ago that people have a hard time quantifying what's a numeric value that I would put on brand awareness. And that is the thing, especially in saturated markets, that that's the only thing that will become a differentiating factor is your brand. But how much are you spending just for brand awareness? That is entirely where the social game is at mm. right now. A hundred percent. You know, it's interesting because, you know, when you start talking about this, with people, I'm actually a direct marketer. I'm old school copywriter. That's how I okay. got into business. And so my old school mentality is, well, shit, you don't pay for branding. Branding is what you, what good marketing does. But then times have changed. Yes. And times have changed significantly. Yes. Uh, and I learned a few years ago through some research about seven, eight years ago about this little concept called the mirror exposure effect. Are you familiar with the no. mirror exposure effect? tell me. Okay, so it's a psychological phenomena whereby people tend to develop a preference for things because they become familiar with them through exposure. Oh, yes. Okay, so you would, be, yes. you would know exactly what I'm talking about yes. here. Yes. And in 2005, they predicted that the average consumer needed to be exposed to a brand around uh, uh, 5.8 times before there was a level of, okay, I've seen this enough, I've got a little bit of certainty, I can reach out. Just reach out, not, not even transact. 2012, it was 12.8. And they're predicting by 2020 that it's going to be as many as 18 to 20 exposures mm -hmm. that are required before someone's willing to have that level of desired comfort to reach out. And I was like, wow, that is a really helpful statistic, right? To understand the implications of social media and brand and that brand experience. Um, but what I find really interesting is understanding this preference that people have. Because I don't know about you, but I've seen the same ad 20 times and I, it doesn't make me build a desire to want to respond to that ad. It makes me want to punch my computer or it makes me want to click the little icon in the corner, you know, to get rid of this ad because I don't want to see this ad anymore. I've seen it 20 times. So in a world where we have this conundrum where we've got to be seen so many times, okay, but if we promote too hard, we're going to get, you know, we're going to basically be not seen. Mm -hmm. How do we find that middle ground? Like what, what's, what's the key to find that middle ground where we're producing content that builds brand, mm -hmm. but we're not being a promotional douchebag? So it's a constant evolution. By the time the podcast releases, I could probably go through two iterations. But where I stand in this very moment is that it's so, like, so valuable and important to make sure that what you're promoting would be promotions for giving's sake. So for instance, I created a four-part video series just on sharing content about how to use social platforms to grow your business. I have no opt-in. I have no magnet. I have no vested interest. I just want to show up and be like, hey, this is what's going on in the like landscape. What are you doing? Let's have a conversation. I'm running equal, not equal. I'm running a considerable amount of money to promote that video with no leads, just Here's a new piece of content that in addition to seeing the other promoted content that you've probably seen one too many times, you have more of an affinity because you're like, huh, she just gave me this for free. I wonder what I would get behind the closed doors. Mm -hmm. And I think it's super important to not look at marketing as in there is an end result, a measurable end result. Mm -hmm. The minute you do that, I think that you're already behind the curve. And I had a conversation where I get asked quite often. I do not identify myself as a social influencer. I just feel like I've never even actually taken a this social campaign. This happened as a natural consequence. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But I've never taken a social campaign. I've never been paid to promote a product, okay. even though I get asked every single day to do so. Now, the longer I hold out, the more viable my account becomes, right? I'm unsullied. I'm basically like an Instagram sales virgin, with the exception <laughs> of my own content. However, I will say that I had the opportunity to speak with an agency, a wonderful, phenomenal, top-notch agency in New York, and they had asked 
about doing a campaign and I said, I want to, I'm going to be in New York. Can I chat with you? Because if I'm going to do something, I want to know everything and all the reasons why. And we had the conversation and all of that to say that I said, what does it, what difference does it make if I'm not actually pushing to go say, buy this product you're asking me to promote? And they did, we just want people to see it in your feed. That's it. They want, they wanted me to be holding a certain bottle and that's it. That that company is putting a premium on somebody seeing it in their feed in my hand. Mm. Now it made the, it made, it made, I was kind of like vexed, like, what should I do? I left that meeting and I immediately knew it was lucrative and hell no, I'm not doing it because my hands are going to be holding products that I know that I'm mm. control of the messaging from beginning, middle and end personal decision. But I exactly know where I, I want to be for my brand. Yeah. And look, I agree also with running, like we run probably about 80% of our budget a month towards content that has no call to action. Beautiful. Uh, like and even maybe even I would say less than 1% of the published content that we have has any call to action associated to it as well. Yeah. We like, do you do, are you doing funnel, uh, sorry, audience funnels? How so? Like when it comes to... With Facebook, you know, obviously you can you can target at mass, you can build yes. an audience, and then you can retarget people who watch. Yes. And then retarget people who watch. Yes. And then retarget people who watch. Yes. Uh, have you tried audience funneling yet? No. Whereby you literally start with a, a broad a broad scope video, so it yes. might be a video in your instance on mindset, motivation, yes. and then from there, all that has quite a, a large net. From there, you then retarget those people with a, a video that has a little bit more content that is maybe you know a mindset specific around business, and then you retarget those people with content that is a, you know a little bit more social media specific, and then you retarget those people with content that is even more social media specific, and so slowly you're bringing people through the funnel. Got and you bring in a, like a really qualified audience at the bottom. And once they've been through like four or five videos, you then retarget them with the call to action where they then opt in for your, you know, whatever the ebook series yes, is. Yes, yes. You know what? I think that I've been doing that, but without less structure. Yeah. And so audience funneling, I think I need to put a little bit more time and effort behind it because it's like, yeah, I'm doing that, but I could be but so much more strategic. It's so brand- like, but it's, it just speaks to what you're talking about, which is branding. Yes. And I think right now, you know, a lot of people are talking about this. Like right now, Facebook is a perfect example. It's just so cheap and, and as, a, as a form of commercial attention of paid advertising. But we've only got like this small window. Like right now, there's five, you know this, 5% of businesses on Facebook advertise. Yeah. Uh, and we've only got like a three to five year window before all that changes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like the minute I see, you know, Toyota and GE yeah. and Coca-Cola move even 10%. Yeah. 15% of their marketing budget away from TV and go yeah. to Facebook. I'm like, done, done, done. Yeah. I got to get really specific <laughs> with my ad sets. Well, yeah. you just got to, like, now's the time. And right. I think this this is the advice we give. What's interesting is this is the advice we're giving each other. It's the same advice we give everyone else. And now is the time to double down. Like, oh, now absolutely. is really the time to, to, to start investing. Absolutely. So how do you bring someone around to that whole psychology? Well, okay, so what you're telling me is I'm going to invest now, <laughs> but I'm not sure about when I'm actually going to get a return for this. You must have heard this from your clients before. Uh, and one of the things that I've learned is, conviction will only get you so far like because people say well how do I get to do just fucking suck it up right. you know if you are serious about owning the game in the next five years then the return will eventually come yeah. it's just the question of how long is it going to take you know depending on the content is there something that you use to bring people around to help them understand or is it just um, some trauma? people cannot be you know some people can be led to the water and they cannot drink however there are some people that I can speak to and say is there anybody in your market right now who you can look at who kind of thinks like you, has a business similar, has been in business around the same way, who has like the target demographic that's similar, if they are using Facebook ads successfully, you 
can be using them successfully. Mm. If you've tried in the past and they haven't worked and you, and you are looking at somebody in your industry who is doing it, the onus is back on you. Mm. It's your copy, it's your video, it's your photos. If it's a similar offer and you know somebody else is selling something very similar and doing it successful with ads, then it's gotta go back to the creative. What is your creative that's gonna be the differentiating factor? So, and again, I, that's that's a big, uh, that's a good question because anyone can learn how to use Facebook Absolutely. advertising as a tool. Absolutely. And I, free for it on YouTube. But I guess when it comes to creative, again, you're a photographer, you're naturally creative. How do you, like, do you have any hacks or insights as to how Jenny and John can become creative for their plumbing business? How do you educate people on, create, on creative? There's just so much opportunities for people who are willing to look. And yeah. I am a firm believer in split testing. So I split test, split test, split test, split test. So a split test would be, you know, um, I have my plumbing business and I'm going to have two with the same copy and two different photos. One is a is a tired mom next to a faucet with a kid crying and she's holding holding a toothbrush and she has no water. There's that photo. And then the other photo would be a dog sipping water out of a toilet or whatever the case may be. I'm making this stuff up, but I wanna know which one performs better, which yeah. one gets attention. Yeah. Then, I, then I have another set, same copy, or different copy with two different photos. Who are the winners? Okay. And of those two winners, then I put the winners against the winners, and I say, which one are the winners? I'm always trying to get down to what do people want to see for the least amount of money. So split yeah. testing and stock photography is such a big available resource right now for people who can't afford to have like a plumber, I mean, a photographer go with their plumber on every job. What is another perhaps um, creative strategy that you use when you're, you know, this is even pre-ad campaign. You're looking for ideas. Like, are there any particular sites that you go to when you get feeling a little bit uncreative? Like, damn, I need some juice here. Like you mentioned BuzzFeed before. Like yeah. BuzzFeed is a great example of, you know, one of the process, some of the processes that our guys use is when they feel uncreative, they'll go into BuzzFeed and they'll search for articles to get their creative juices flowing. Uh, like I know when I when I used to feel when I used to feel uncreative as a copywriter, one of the first things I do is I grab all the best performing ads, you know. Of of, of, of great marketers gone by and start rewriting their ads. Ugh, you're not going to like this answer. No, I want to know I'm what not, you do. You, I I mean, know. I, yeah. like, the truth is I go and watch an independent film with subtitles. Um, I go, I drive to LA, spend yeah. a day in the museum. Okay. I will go and do something that I'm not normally used to doing. Like I'll paint or I'll be forced to like write a poem. Why like, would I, I not go, like this answer? Because it's not, it's not, it's not as sexy as like go to BuzzFeed, do something tactical. <laughs> I can do it in my PJs. But you're in very good like, company. Like you're an incredible, right. yeah. Like, but well, you know, I, I don't know if you remember like in 2014 when Mark was doing, when Zuckerberg was doing um, town halls. I don't know if you remember when he was doing those Q&A yes. town halls. And someone said to him, they said, look, how do you spend your time? Like, what's the structure of your time? And I remember like the answer has been screenshot and shared like a billion times. And I'm, I apologize if you've already seen this. Uh, he said, look, I basically spend 80% of my time looking out the window at home. Yes. Yeah. Like literally just. Because Corinne, I want to speak to that because when, yeah. when you say like, what do you do to get creative? Like I would I should never. add reading as well. Reading and looking out the window Absolutely. at home. Yeah. Okay. I would never, if I was feeling like in a creative rut to try to figure out what I want to do just to create content to test it, I would never go on Facebook. That's the last place I would it's go. It's the noisiest place. And, yeah. and not only that, it's like if they're all like mere regurgitations to things you've already seen before. The minute you stick out is the minute you do something, is because you did something different. It was jarring. It was new. It was creative. It was avant-garde. It just didn't look like everything else. So if you're feeling in a creative rut, run in the opposite direction of what everybody else is doing and you will learn faster. It will be cheaper. You've got a greater response. A thousand percent. Oh, I love it. You're, so as I say, you're in good company. Warren Buffett, also the same. Uh, so Mark, just to complete that cycle, 80% of his time reading and thinking about how to make Facebook better. Like just, that's his goal. Mm -hmm. 
the other 10% of his time, internal meetings with key stakeholders, and the other 10% of his time, external meeting with key stakeholders. And Warren Buffett uses the exact same principle as well. He spends 80% of his time reading financial reports and strategizing ways for his companies to become leaner and more efficient, more effective. And the other 20% is mixed up of internal and external meetings. So I'm you, on the right track. You're on the right track. I just need more money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll catch up with those guys soon. So how did, like, I guess that's one thing that I'm curious about that perhaps other people would be curious to know as well. Like you've actually done really well as a as a entrepreneurial photographer. Like, because I don't look at you. I, like you're a great photographer. Don't get me wrong. Your 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 work is stunning. But I think what gives you that edge is you're not just a photographer. You're an entrepreneur. And to me, an entrepreneur, it's kind of twofold. It's that person who's been through it. They've, you know, they've developed the scars, and they're not just wearing the badge. I'm an entrepreneur because I you know I went and incorporated my company, and I'm ready to go. Like you've been through the battle, you've uh, you, you've worked hard, you've got the resilience uh, the, the, that's required. But what I find really entrepreneurial is the way that you've chosen to make money. Like you don't just make money through photography; you're making money through other sources as well, which I think is really fucking smart as an entrepreneur. Where you get to a point and you go, okay, well, hang on, there are so many things that I can, there's only so much I can do as a, a photographer to make money. But there's other ways. So what, what was it that gave you the kind of insights to going, shit, I could actually be doing a lot more than just photography. Like I can actually turn social media and my ability to use and integrate with this tool into you know, an additional stream of income for my business. Kurt, I have to say that anytime somebody in an industry does something different or sticks out is the minute that people go and like attack it, right? And so I came in very different to what the industry looked like so many years ago. It was... Um, stodgy. It was older. It was like trade secrets, like, oh, photography, this and photography, that. And then I came in and I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have a digital camera. I went to the University of Google. Hire me. And for so long, I represented everything that the industry hated. This unique ability to leverage social conversations, um, education, free education, start a business on a whim. I was a silly little girl and they couldn't stand it. And so the thing that they made fun of, the thing that they crit criticized was the, and the thing that ended up as a badge of honor. They say, she's terrible. She's not so good. Technically, she's un, you know, um, unsavory. Fine. They said that the reason she makes money is because she knows how to run a business. Yeah, that's it. But the more like venomous the conversations became, the more I started taking a step back and saying, I'm trying to prove and belong in an industry that doesn't really care if I prove myself or belong. Mm -hmm. So what can I do next? So I created an amazing studio, traveling the world, working with editors, shooting for magazines, and it was wonderful and it was amazing. But I also thought, if you're at the 1%, and I, just, and I know that that sounds extraordinarily self-serving and conceited, but it was just the state of the affairs. Yeah. It was, I couldn't go anywhere else. Yep. I was there. So then kind of transitioned into teaching people what I knew. How do I run a, a, a photography business? We did that. It was amazing. And it was great. But then all of a sudden I realized other people in industries were saying, oh, I'm not a photographer. Do you think this would work for me? And I'm like, yes, the simple art of storytelling, creating content, creating value, telling people you care that applies to any business in any discipline at any time. I could teach you how to do that. And so that immediately became this whole big revenue stream. And it was like, I finally feel like I'm doing everything I want to in my life. I get to shoot. I get to write. I get to create. I get to inspire and empower people to live these wild, audacious dream, like dreams. Like you tell me you want to build a bakery and you've never cooked in your life. I believe in you. I believe in you because somebody believed in me. And now I can pass that forward as a legacy. What's the best piece of a business advice you've ever received? My first year. A gentleman said, jump and the net will appear. All right. That was it. Just do it. Grow the wings on the way down. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's the thing I continue to keep on doing. I'm just jumping. I'm jumping without knowing, but understanding that like I'll land somewhere. So I'm curious to explore that a little bit. Like, um, do you have, is intuition, does intuition play a big role in the way that you make decisions? Yes. And how does, how does it come to you? Like, what's your form of intuition? Is it a, is it a voice in the head? Is it a feeling in the stomach? Where it's does my you, gut. Yeah, right. And how does it manifest? Um, just as this like knowing. Yeah. Okay. This knowingness of like. And every time I get the wave of knowing, like the heat in my core, and I do not listen to it, I think to myself, my God, you were cognizant and you went the other way. And finally now, you know, as I'm older, even if it doesn't make sense, I always listen to my gut. Always, 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 always. And it's never led me wrong. That's beautiful. Worst piece of business advice you've ever received. Care what other people think. Like... (laughs) Pay attention to what other people are saying because it's often right. insight into who yeah, you are. Right. And I'm like, that's the worst. Never care about what people are saying about you. Everybody will always have an opinion and will always be different. It should have no bearing on your ability to succeed in spite of the odds stacked against you. I think there's a great saying. What other people think of you is none of your own business. Yes. You can drop the mic. Drop the mic right yeah. there. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, so what's next for you? Like, where to from here? You know, um, it's about doing right now. Yeah. I feel like I'm at a stage in my business. And as we diversify, it's like there's always been new iterations. And at this point, actually this month, as the point of us recording, we're celebrating the one year anniversary of one of my one of the arms of our business called Social Curator. And this whole first year has Congratulations. Been, thank I, you. Yeah, I saw it on social. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. Well done. Um, it's been so big and beautiful for us. And so sobering because we've gone through so many ups and downs. It's a new time. It's a it's a new experience with a membership. It's a new experience of giving people up close access to who I am. And because we're creating content in real time, like for instance, right before I came here, we had a live class. I just hop in, like, hey, how's it going? And people are like, what's your IGTV strategy? And there was a time in my business where I felt so good about curating. Once I once I deployed a strategy. I test, 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 refine, refine, refine. Then I would present and say, this is what I think you should be doing. And so all of a sudden to be teaching content in real time makes me feel wildly awkward. I'm like, okay guys, well, IGTV has, it's still really new. This is what I'm testing. This is what I'm doing. And I think that it's just been so opening and freeing from this idea that it has to look and feel a certain way. It has to be polished. It's like, I'm great. You're getting like up close. This is what I'm doing. Let's see if it works. And I think that it's really empowering to other people. Be like, Hey, like, you don't know what you're doing and you're going for it. Yeah. That's how you get ahead. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, Jasmine, you are an absolute star. You're one to watch. If people want to find out more about you and, you know, the photography and the social media, where can they go? And all forms of social media and my website at Jasmine Star. Where do you really stand out? Like if someone wanted to go right now, where's the best place to, to, to see Instagram. you? <clears throat> really? Yeah. So that's your place? That's my place. Yeah, nice. A little inside there. Instagram TV, like what, what do you see? Um, I'm using it. Well, I've always created long form content, um, long form being anywhere from like over a minute to under 10 minutes. And I have been sharing that on YouTube and on Facebook. And I always felt like it was missing, even though I would create a 60 second, a 59 second clip for say my Instagram grid, getting people to click away from a platform that had no exit links was virtually impossible. So then I just started, I stopped sharing the long form content, like in 60 second clips on Instagram because it was like a wasted space. Somebody mm. had an amouche-bouche at a very nice restaurant and then n- tasted nothing else. Just felt like it was doing a disservice. It wasn't the brand extension that I wanted. So I continued creating video content for YouTube and Facebook. And then when IGTV came around, I thought to myself, this is it. 
This is a pivot within the platform that I could still share the content I'm already creating, yeah. have it be value driven and polished, but then still really heavily deploy um, Instagram Live because Instagram Live, I can go in there, I bring chats, I bring people on the live chat with me every mm -hmm. Tuesday. We deep dive in their business, we have hot seats, we tech, and I really just brew a cup of coffee have conversations, it's unpolished, it's off the cuff, people can see how quickly I think and how quickly I can deploy business advice for where they are in whatever random niche they are in the business world. And I think that the holistic balance between Instagram stories, Instagram live, my feed, and now IGTV, I think it's become a real game changer. Yeah, right, that's fantastic. You got it all going on. Well, hardly. Thank you so much, <laughs> yeah, you do, and you're killing it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. You got it. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say and your reviews. Make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com, and also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray. 